OWC Radio number five, an interview with Peter Cohen. Hey everyone, Tim Robertson for OWC Radio. This is the fifth episode, recorded Wednesday, January 13th, 2010. I am Tim Robertson, and uh, I'm hosting the show this week. Okay, I'm, I'm always the host, but still. This week I'm hosting. <laughs> Let's uh, get right into the news here in a second, but first I want to say that we've got Peter Cohen, an interview uh, coming up in the second half of the show. It runs a little over a half hour. We talk about all things Macintosh, the Macworld Expo, uh, what he's doing at the Loop now. It's uh, kind of a newer website, and we'll talk a lot about that. I, it's one of my favorite websites right now, to be honest. I really, really enjoy it. So, uh, And the neat thing is, after this show goes live today, I also have an interview with Jim Darimple today for the next show, and we'll be talking about Loop Insight as well. So um, let's jump right into the news. Hey, did you see that uh, CES was last week? Wow. That was exciting, huh? Okay. <laughs> Not so much, I know. Yeah. It's, I don't know, it's, it's the Consumer Electronics Show, and, it, you know, it tries to be all things to all people, and it can't. I don't think so. Do you? I I don't know how any one event, if if it's consumer electronics, I mean, it's it's televisions, it's refrigerators, it's you know, it's just too much. So that's why I'm really glad that MacWorld Expo is still going strong. Well, at least we hope it's going strong. Otherworld Computing will be there at the Macworld Expo next month. In fact, a week from today, or I'm sorry, a month from today, I'll be in San Francisco recording the show. Um, as a matter of fact, the more I think about it, the more I realize that at this point, a month from now, will be the last day of the show. That's because uh, February 11th through the 13th, is when the Macworld Expo is actually running. They're at the Moscone Center in San Francisco. You know, if you haven't booked your flight, do so now. Get a hotel, book your flight, come out and uh, enjoy the show. Macworld Expo is simply a, a fantastic time. There has been a change for OWC, however. Our booth has been changed. I don't know the specifics of why, but we're at booth 1354, real close to the main stage. So come out to the expo. Look at what OWC is offering this year. Storage solutions, memory solutions. Hey, you can even check out the mod book. And again, February 11th through the 13th. I'm a little stuffy today, so please forgive me. Let's talk about the news. This is uh, from Macworld.com. 
The title is The iPod Reigns at CES. After covering his first consumer electronics show in three years, Chris Breen returns from Las Vegas with this observation. The battle among MP3 players is over and the iPod has won. Uh, I, you know, the funny thing is I checked and sure enough, Chris wrote this article here in 2010. Chris, you probably could have wrote that in 2009 or 8 or 7. Just saying. Because as far as I know, the iPod won a long time ago, Chris. Here's one from the Technologizer website from Harry McCracken, who, by the way, we will be interviewing here on the OWC radio show. So if you got any questions for Harry, send them to podcast at maxsales.com. This article is exactly right, Google, exactly right. Now, I don't know if you guys know that for years, Google has operated in China with the consent of the Chinese government, but they've been censoring all their search results. And this has caused a lot of PR problems over the years. And I wasn't quite sure how I felt about it, to be honest. Uh, I'm a very free speech guy. I think the more information out there, that's accessible, the better for everybody. But then again, I live in America and I'm obviously pro-democracy. And honestly, I don't know what it's like in China. I've never been there. I can imagine it's not a great place to live. Uh, but the people of everybody I've ever met from China have always been just really, really great people. And I'm not saying that to be, oh, he's got to say that on the show. no. Uh, my wife's family sponsored a Chinese couple years, 30 years ago, maybe even longer, when they moved over from China to here in West Michigan. And uh, they really took care of this Chinese couple. Well, this Chinese couple started their own restaurant. And at this point in time, they have like four or five restaurants, uh, really an American success story. They They obviously are American citizens at this point. And they are an American success story. It's just amazing. And they are so nice. And, you know, I just want freedom for everybody. I want everyone to be able to have access to information. So it always did bother me that Google was operating there but not really providing the same level of search results that you would get anywhere else. So Harry writes for the Technologizer website, um, but now that's changing. In a fascinating blog post, Google has disclosed that it has discovered a sophisticated hacker attack on its systems in mid-December. Its investigation revealed that the target was the accounts of Chinese human rights activists and that the attack encompassed other large companies. It further found that the Gmail accounts of Chinese human rights activists had been breached through such means as malware installed on their computers. Hmm. And from the Google blog post itself, these attacks and surveillance have, uh, they have un uh, uncovered combined with the attempts over the last year to further limit free speech on the web have led us, us being Google, to conclude that we should review the feasibility of our business operations in China. We've decided we are no longer willing to continue censoring our results on Google.cn and so over the next few weeks, we will be discussing with the Chinese government the basis on which we can operate an unfiltered search engine within the law, if at all. 
we recognize that this may well mean having to shut down Google.cn and potentially our offices in China. Huge. That's huge, people. I mean, Google is, at this point, from what I just read, are willing to shut down their offices and not operate within China at all rather than censor their search results. Now, is that a direct result of the supposedly Chinese government attacking and trying to get into human rights activists' Gmail accounts? I don't know. But it does sound to me that Google's just had enough. They uh, they grew a conscious, it sounds like to me. And I applaud Google for it. I wish they would have done it earlier, but they didn't. Two more. Tired of iMovie? Try Pulp Motion. This is from Kate McKenzie at uh, pixobebo.com. I'm going to spell it out because, yeah. P-I-X-O-B-E-B-O.com. Pixobebo. And it's a really good overview on why you should check out Pulp Motion. It's it's not quite a competitor to iMovie. I I use Pulp Motion myself occasionally, usually with just still pictures. I'm not sure if it works with video or not. Um, but I've used it with pictures to put some much better slideshows together than iMovie's capable of, especially the new iMovie. Ugh. Don't even get me started. But uh Pulp Motion, I really like the software. Check out Kate McKenzie's article. It's uh pretty thorough, gives you a good overview. P I X O B E B O dot com. I kinda like spelling that one out. P I X O B E B O. Next one. <laughs> I know. This is from terrywhite.com. T E R R Y W H I T E dot com. Terry White. Are camera phones the next point and shoot cameras? Let me read you his first line or first paragraph here. I have two cameras that are with me 99% of the time. One is a Canon PowerShop ELPH. And the other is my iPhone. Of course, I have a couple of great DSLRs. It goes without saying that when it's an important event, I'm shooting with shooting with a DSLR. Do we have enough uh, acronyms, people? I think we need to. Mm. However, when it's just casual, just out and about, you would think that I would pull out my Canon ELPH. But in reality, I pull out my iPhone. Take the shot edit in the free photoshop.com mobile app if need be, and share it immediately via Facebook, Twitter, Flickr, email, etc. It's a good question. Do you have a point-and-shoot that you use a lot if you also have an iPhone? I have an old, I think it's, I want to say 5 megapixel. I mean, it's it's quite old at this point. My wife and I keep talking about replacing it because it just doesn't take, uh, I think it's a, I want to say it's an HP. might be a Kodak. But we've been talking about replacing that point-and-shoot. And I've been kind of thinking maybe eventually go to DSLR. But the problem with DSLR is they're big. They're bulky. They take fabulous pictures, obviously. But most of the time when I'm taking pictures, it's the kids are doing something. So I, I want to pull out my camera quickly and take a picture. Well, I don't have my point-and-shoot with me all the time. What I do have with me is my iPhone. 
And just like Terry White in his article, I will take a quick picture of, oh, I don't know, say my one of my daughters in a um, a tub, and there's a bunch of colorful balls in there with her. This actually happened this not too long ago, and I, you know, the only thing you could see was her face sticking out of this tub, and there's just these brightly colored balls everywhere. It was I thought it was really cute. Took a picture with the iPhone. It came out really well, and I immediately shared it with my friends on Facebook. And so I don't really use my point and shoot anymore. I keep thinking I need to bring it when we're going to, you know, a holiday gathering or a, a special school event. But I usually don't. And that's because I always have my iPhone and it takes pictures good enough for casual photography. And I like the fact that I'll take a couple of pictures and I'll share them like I did just this last Christmas on Facebook. Now, within moments of taking the picture, it's up there on Facebook. What about you guys? Do you guys do that? Do you use your iPhone for your quick point-and-shoot? Are, as Terry White asks, are camera phones the new point-and-shoot cameras? Love to hear your opinion. And, of course, we're always looking for your feedback here on the show. You can contact us at Twitter at twitter.com slash radio. Email podcast at maxsales.com. Or if you really want to help me out, you can leave a voice message at 1-801-938-5559 or record yourself right on your iPhone using the voice memo app and share slash email it to me, podcast at maxsales.com. So let's jump to the uh, Peter Cohen interview. I think you guys will enjoy this. Peter is a, a prolific Writer, He's been writing about Mac games forever. I mean, when it came to Mac games, Peter was the man. I mean, he was the guy that you always read. If a new game came out, it was Peter's article that I was reading, or at least his review, before I would pick up the game myself. Because if Peter said it was terrible, I trusted his judgment it was probably terrible. If he said it was fantastic, well, then I had to buy it. So I had a lot of fun interviewing and talking with uh, with Peter. I hope you guys uh, come out to Macworld. Peter's going to be there. Peter Cohen, I'm going to be there. Uh, a bunch of the other world computing gang is going to be there, and we'd love to see you. So let's uh, listen to the interview, and I'll be right back after that. back and this time I've got Peter Cohen with me. Hello Peter. Hi there. It's been a very strange 2009 going into 2010. At the beginning of this year you were at Macworld. At the end of this year you're over at the Loop. What's going on with that? Yeah, I've been at Macworld for about 10 years, but you know, uh no uh I'm I'm certainly not telling tales out of school here to say that it's been a tough economy. And unfortunately my position was uh was eliminated at the end of uh the, the 2009 uh, fiscal year. Um, so in October, I started working um, with uh, uh, with Jim Dalrymple at uh, The Loop, which is uh, loopinsight.com, and, uh, you know, taking on some freelance work as well. You know, it's kind of uh, Mac, or, no, uh, Mac Central 2.0. I mean, <laughs> you guys are kind of the core with Stan, of course, but Stan's no longer with us. But you guys were the core of the original Mac Central before it was bought out by... Mac World. So now with you and Jim back together, 
it, it really does to me feel like the what you guys were doing, you know, what, 10, 11 years ago? Yeah, it was. It's uh, it's ironic. I mean, you know, we we certainly had some other people uh, with us as well, like Dennis Sellers, who's uh, got his own gig at uh, MaximumNews.com uh, dot com now, and and so on. But yeah, Jim and I uh, worked uh, together for for a very long time, or have worked together for a very long time, and of course, spent all that time at MacWorld together as well. So um, it was um, when uh, when Jim lost his uh, job in I guess it was April or May. Um, I, I kind of figured in the back of my head, well, you know, I'll probably be the next out the door, but I just wasn't sure when exactly it was going to happen. So you've, uh, you got you're out on your own now and you're doing, uh, the angry Mac podcast as well. Yes. Uh, the stuff at the loop. Mm-hmm. You're not leaving the Mac platform. It sounds like, Oh no, no. You, and as a matter of fact, I've, I've even taken on some freelance work for, uh, for Macworld. I just wrote a, uh, a game hall of fame column. Uh, for for uh, the folks at MacWorld, for example, and and you'll see my uh, uh, my byline popping up uh, here, there, and everywhere. I've also got a um, uh, a uh, 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 what they call a market symposium at uh, MacWorld Expo next month. So it's uh, I'm certainly trying to stay busy. You know, there's been a lot of talk um, on the Loop. Was one of the sites recently that kind of made the point that maybe this will be the last Macworld XO from a lack of developers and vendors showing up at the show and a lack of excitement. I'm kind of in the other camp. I think there's a lot of excitement going into this Macworld Expo. Um, and I know, like you just said, you're going to go. Are you excited about this year? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, what I'm excited ab- about most this year is um, a, actually kind of coincidental with the fact that I'm not at Macworld anymore. Uh, you know, working at Macworld Magazine during a Macworld Expo is a very, very stressful time, and I don't envy the the poor folks who have to do it this year, uh, because partly because the magazine's name is you know indirectly attached to the show, and partly because um, you know it's it's a major media event. Um, you know, working at the magazine was always a, an immense pressure cooker. I mean, you know, Tim, you and I have known each other for years. And uh, you and I have probably seen each other for maybe 15 minutes. <laughs> probably. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. At the, at, at the last uh, three or four Macworld Expos combined because, um, you know, my schedule is a 20-hour day, uh, you know, of, of writing and meeting people and connecting. And, and hey, listen, I, I'm not asking anybody to weep for me. It was a lot of fun, too. You know, there were a lot of great dinners. There was a lot of drinking. There was a lot of hanging out. Uh, but but you miss a lot when you're working that much during the during the day at the expo. You absolutely do, and I saw very little of the expo. So uh, from that perspective, I'm really looking forward to it. And the other thing that I'm excited about is the fact that Apple isn't going to be there. You know, I, I don't think that people on the outside um, understand um, intrinsically how much apple really kind of held its thumb down on the expo itself um you know they they wanted to make sure that it was as tightly controlled a media event as they could control it without it being their media event directly yeah those in the media like us heard the stories but you know yeah absolutely but you know it's it's you know idg world expo to its credit you know they they would do whatever they could to make apple happy but eventually it got to the point, I think, 
you know, and I'm just talking about this as an outsider, not anybody with any specific inside knowledge, got to the point where they said, you know, hey, it, it, unless it's our media event, unless we can control it from top to bottom, we don't want to be involved. And, you know, that's very consistent with how Apple likes to do business. So I guess I can't blame them from that perspective, even if it's kind of a, you know, a lousy thing for Mac and iPhone and iPod enthusiasts who are, you know, a, a, a expecting to see Apple there. Do you think that the iPhone development is going to take a, a bigger role at this point going forward at the Macworld Expo, and should they change the name maybe? You know, I, I don't think they should change the name, um, but I think that, that um, you know, if, if there's one point that came through from Jim Dalrymple's editorial on the loop, and I, I don't agree with everything that Jim said, but, uh, you know, I've talked to him about this as well, um, but I, I do think that, that he made, or he makes one good point indirectly anyway, that IDG World Expo should probably um, do a more um, effective job of articulating what exactly this event is going forward. Because I think the expectation that this Macworld Expo is going to be similar to other Macworld Expos um, is, is going to lead people to disappointment, if that's what they expect. Um, because we don't see the same number of vendors involved. I don't think we're going to see... Um, the same amount of media penetration at the show because of Apple's absence. But um, I, I don't really think that that's what Macworld Expo has ever really been all about. I mean, you know, at least not since, um, not for the last 10 years or so, not as people have depended on the Internet more and more for uh, news and information about what's happening in the Apple ecosystem. You know, it, it, going to a, a Macworld Expo um, to get news about what's happening with with Apple products or with products designed to work with Apple products um, has become less and less um, sort of intrinsically important. What it is is it's, it's sort of one part jamboree where all of us who don't get to see each other the rest of the year get an opportunity to meet and hang out and uh, give each other wedgies and do all that stuff. <laughs> um, and, and the other part of it is to, you know, it's just a huge brain trust of, you know, some of the most talented, smartest people uh, in the, uh, the Apple world, you know, get a chance to get together and share knowledge with one another. And the thing to understand, you know, comp especially compared to a show like the Consumer Electronics Show um, or WWDC, the Worldwide Developers Conferences, those are both industry events. The yes. average person in the street can't just walk off the street and go to those things. You have to be in the business, you know, in the consumer electronic retail business or in the you have to be a registered Apple developer willing to pony up the huge price of a WWDC ticket um, in order to go to these events. You know, it's Macworld Expo is the only event left that's just for you and me, just for regular guys or gals who really dig the Mac or dig the iPhone or dig the iPod and want to be with other people um, who have similar interests and uh, you know want to see those products on the show floor but also want to go to these conferences and these birds of a feather meetings and all these other uh, social networking events that, that let you you know mill about and, and sort of swap information uh, with with these really smart, really intensely creative uh, people, you don't get opportunities like that, and that's what where I think the the special part of Macworld Expo is. You know, I know that uh, CES is over now. Is it over now? Uh, CES it, is over. Yeah. Did did it start already? Yeah. Really? What, I missed it. 
Yes, indeed. All the excitement that surrounded <laughs> CES. I can't believe it. You know, I think I passed out somewhere. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't there, but I passed out during one of the webcasts of uh, of, of Steve Ballmer's uh, oh. keynote. Oh, so boring. And I love how now they're using the term slate. They think that that's what Apple's product is going to be named. So they come out with slate computing. And uh, it's just – it's such a me too – conference at this point isn't it it's everyone's kind of waiting to see what apple does <laughs> well yeah and that's one of the ironies apple wasn't even at the show no i know, you, it, you know? I, it's turning into 3d tv and we wish we were an iphone vendors you know, and the th- the thing about 3D TV is that isn't even new to CES. We've been seeing no. 3D t- TVs at CES for the last few years. You know, it's just that this year now that now that um, the Blu-ray Avatar, yeah, bl- and now especially after Avatar got released, and and you know, James Cameron has proven to everybody that you can have a blockbuster movie in 3D that it isn't just a gimmick for movies about talking guinea pigs. <laughs> you know. No. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> You can have talking Smurfs, and people also want to see it in 3D. Um, you know that that uh, that that uh, all of a sudden 3D TV is real, and I think that the other thing that played into that also is that there's a spec now for Blu-ray um, to uh, to push 3D content as well. That just got finalized in December. Are, so, aren't you just so excited about 3D TV like me? I'm. I just cannot wait. I'm. <laughs> I was just going to say I'm so excited I can barely stay awake. Well, you know, everybody right now in the last what four to five years, well, two to five years, has been buying flat panel TVs, 42 inches and up usually. I mean, that's the big, that's what everyone's doing. They're getting the HD TVs. Do they really think that we're all going to rush out and buy new TVs again to wear stupid glasses to sit in our living room to watch TV? It's not going to happen. No, it's not. And it, I think that, that consumer electronics companies are going to have a very hard time convincing consumers that um, that, that this is technology that they need. I don't think that the 3D experience is immersive enough or um, enough of a wow factor uh, to to um, to get people uh, to do it. And I mean, you know, if you, if you read the criticisms of Avatar out there, you know, outside of it basically being a remake of Disney's Pocahontas. Yeah, it's, it's you know, Pocahontas with Smurfs. With Smurfs, right? You know, yeah. sort of Pocahontas meets Fern Gully. Yeah. You know, I, that that uh, that. You know, the, the the one thing that I keep reading over and over again is, uh, well, you know, it's the plot and the characters certainly didn't, you know, break any new ground. But, hey, the special effects were terrific. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to be able to, if that was all that mattered, you know, I wouldn't have felt so ripped off paying 15 bucks for um, Transformers 2 on Blu-ray. <laughs> I can't believe you spent the money on it at all. Uh, hey, what can I tell you? I love my kids. I, I do too, and um, yeah, that's I'll leave it at that. So I'm looking at the the because you've always been kind of the Mac gaming guru out there. If if there's a new Mac game out there, uh, it's Peter Cohen's review is the first thing you read before you go out and buy, buy the game. Do you see Mac gaming dying in favor of the iPhone? I don't see it dying. Uh, you know, I think that Mac gaming has been moribund for a number of years. I think that. Um, there, there, are, and I think that there are a few reasons for why that happened. You know, it, it's funny because I think that um, uh, you know we, we definitely saw the writing on the wall when um, 
when Mac switched over to Intel microprocessors, and all of a sudden um, people stopped buying games, even yeah. though they were buying more Macs than ever. Well, they you know, stopped buying Mac games. Yeah, right, exactly. And they haven't really, I mean, it, you know, I think that, yeah, you know, it, it's 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 been a tough road to hoe because uh, for for the game manufacturers because before then, you know, they had to convert everything to um, PowerPC code, um, and that took a lot of effort and a lot of time. And um, you know, Mac games were very late to to market. And what happened was, you know, Apple switched to the Intel microprocessor, and um, all of a sudden, new technology appeared: the CIDR technology from Trans Gaming. That allowed Transgaming to actually bring products to market, uh, to the Mac market faster than we'd ever seen before. Case in point, Dragon Age Origins. That game just got released for the PC in November, in very early November. And by late December, right before Christmas, on the 23rd of December, uh, Transgaming released the Mac version of Dragon Age Origins. So that's two months, two months from the time that the PC version came out to the time that the Mac version came out. There had been a few examples of, of where that had happened before, but very inconsistently. Yeah, but um, if you go on the flip side of that, Bioshock just came out on the Mac. Come on. Yeah, but Bioshock is is, is a conventional port. Bioshock is a... a um, is 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 sort of the old style way of converting a game uh, to run natively on the Mac platform. Uh, that you never know done, it by playing it. That one was done by by Feral Interactive. I think it runs yeah. great. I mean, you know, I've I've played it on my 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 son's Mac Mini, mm-hmm. and the game runs phenomenally well on the Mini. You know, this is a brand new Mini, but but a Mini nonetheless. So they've done a I, real. I, I ran it on a, a brand new iMac, and it it didn't look as good as the P, uh, the uh, Xbox 360 version from two years ago. Well, that's because you're blind. That's why I'm blind. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm just, just old like me, Tim, and you're losing your vision. <laughs> I am probably. Um, I, I don't know. I just don't play that many games on my Mac anymore. And, well, and, and because I've got Windows, I, when I go to buy a game that's not a console version of a game, um, I don't even check to see if it's Mac or PC anymore. I just figured oh, I can run any game now. Well, you see, and there are two different things there, Tim, that I think that are important to touch on. One is that a few, a fairly small number overall, but a few people who have Macs that are Intel-based, you know, have created um, dual boot systems using um, Boot Camp and have installed a Windows partition on their Mac and will run Mac, I mean, Windows software, Windows games on their Macs. I've done it. I know, you know, other people who have done it as well. That's what I do. It's not a huge thing, you know. It's that's that's definitely a hobbyist, prosumer sort of thing to do. Uh, the average person in the street who buys a Mac is not necessarily going to do that because there is time and there is effort and there is expense involved, and it's not a simple process. Correct. But for those people who don't do it, which are the majority, the larger piece of that of that pie, they just don't play games on their Macs at all. And they may buy, they may get a casual game like a Bejeweled Two or a, a Plants vs Zombies or Peggle, you know. And the, these are great games that I love, but they're not gaming on their Mac. Their, their Mac is something that they use for surfing the web or for writing email or for um, doing um, uh, Microsoft Word or Excel or PowerPoint or something. Um, and and their games, if they are a gamer, they're gaming either on a dedicated PC or They've got an Xbox 360 or a PS3 or a Wii, and that's enough for them. They don't need to game on their Macs. So I think that the, the whole sort of 
nature of gaming on the Mac has really changed over the course of the past three or four years. And, you know, quite frankly, Tim, I'm, I'm sorry to see it happen because um, I, I still love to play games on my Mac. I still do play a lot of games on my Mac, and I encourage my kids to play games on their Macs, too. Um, and they have a good time with it. The other thing is that kids are, especially kids, especially, and, and I haven't really caught on to this again because I'm an old fart. You know, I just turned 40 last month. Um, my kids spend so much time gaming in online environments, and they're not even playing conventional games that you have to install on a DVD or a CD. Uh, for example, my, 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 my younger son, who's nine, has been all about Fusion Fall lately, which is a, a massively multiplayer online game, uh, 3D, very cool game, uh, developed uh, by Cartoon Network, um, that runs in a web browser using the Unity 3D plugin from from Unity Technologies. You know, so so this is an online RPG that you can play for free, kind of. Although you should, you know, buy cards or buy time uh, in order to sort of unlock uh, new capabilities within the game. And he's perfectly content doing this. My older son, who's 14, spends you know half of his time online playing flash games on Congregate, and this again yep. is enough for him. You know, so so I think that, that, that we also have to take into account that the whole kind of culture of gaming on the computer has changed. It's changed, yeah. You know, I was talking to my wife last night, and uh, she was messing with her Mac. She's got a MacBook. And I looked, and, of course, she's on Farmville on Facebook. So is my wife. What the hell? And uh, I said, you're really turning into a big video gamer, aren't you? And she goes, this isn't a video game. And I said, yes, that's actually the most popular video game in the world right now. She goes, it's Farmville. It's not a video game. Honey, it is a video game. It's kind of the definition of video game. And uh, they, they, I don't know what it is, but my wife doesn't want to admit that she's playing a video game. But that's exactly what this is. Well, you know, it's funny you should say that, Tim, because um, I remember talking to one of Apple's uh, former um, uh, developer relations um, uh, guys who was responsible for um, supporting their game developers. And he said the interesting thing is that, uh, you know, in the, the sort of informal polls that, that, uh, that he had read, Mac users uh, in particular, if you ask them, are you a gamer, they'll say no. But do you play games? They'll say, they, and they, they, you find out that they do, even if they don't think that they do. Um, they will. They may play, like, a, like I was saying before, like a Bejeweled or, you know, that kind of game. Or they may go on Facebook and they may play Farmville. Or, you know, my weakness on Facebook is Scramble, you mm -hmm. know, or a game on, on Facebook. I play it probably two or three times a day. Um, and you, you come to find out that they do play games, but they don't self-identify as a gamer. Because gamer means something different to them. Gamer means you know, somebody who plays on Xbox or somebody who, um, you know, is kind of nerdish and, uh, you know, an otaku, you know, kind of person who, who only um, is interested in video games and, and has no social life and, you know, has... Yeah, it does have kind of a negative connotation to it. Right, exactly. So, so I, I think the definition of gamer has really kind of shifted as well. What do you think? It's kind of weird when you look at Apple... From basically 91 up until, I would say, three years ago, um, Apple all but ignored gaming on the Macintosh platform completely. Well, they still do. They still do. But, boy, they sure have embraced it on the uh, iPhone, iPod Touch, haven't they? You know, it's interesting. I, my, my impression is that they've kind of gotten 
dragged kicking and screaming and <laughs> supporting the uh, uh, supporting games on the iPod Touch. They can't ignore um, how good the iPod Touch is as a game system. Um, but they're, they're still not, you know, terrific about supporting it. Uh, but yeah, it's there. I mean, you know, they, they certainly made it easy with 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 um, iPhone OS 3.0. You know, with some technology that's designed um, uh, more uh, to support games than anything else, like um, you know, Bluetooth uh, communication between apps, right. um, and and you know, some of the other API stuff that they've exposed in iPhone OS certainly makes it easier for gamer game developers to support the system. And we've even seen them come out with some marketing. You know, pushing the iPod Touch specifically as as good game system, and you know, I've seen that happen in my own house. Um, you know, my 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 younger son, my nine year old, who I was talking about before, um, asked for an iPod Touch for Christmas, and uh, you know, we got him one. And I cannot believe how voracious a gamer he is uh, on <laughs> on that system. And yeah, fortunately, I've been able to indulge him because uh, you know, as 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 part of my work, I've had to review a lot of games. So you know, I, I came to it with with more than two hundred apps that I could install on his iPod Touch to keep him shut up for a little while. How much better uh, is he at Nova than you are? Oh, much. I mean, he and he and my son. <laughs> you know, my, my my son who inherited my wife's. Um, iPod 2G when she upgraded to a 3GS. So we deactivated it. It's basically an iPod Touch. He got it, and they started playing Nova, um, which is a game from GameSpot, uh, from from um, from uh, GameLoft, um, which is sort of Halo-esque. Um, just uh, have, have gravitated towards it and, and really do a good job with it. And I, I, what... what I, one of the big things that I think that Apple really needs to do a better job of articulating is how much less expensive it is once you get beyond the cost of the actual system itself to support gaming on um, uh, the iPod Touch. You know, we hear we hear the 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 hardcore game segment uh, people, you know, who play games on DSs and PSPs. Well, you know the. Um, the gaming experience on the iPhone uh, in the iPod Touch is, isn't as, as, as deep and isn't as, as sophisticated as gaming on the DS or um, uh, the PC. I think it yeah. is. I do, too. And I've, got it, both, I've got all three systems, and I, I think it's a combination for me anyways, personally, of I see something, I can buy it right then, and I could be playing it five minutes later, whereas with... It's getting a little bit better on both the other systems, but still, if you want to play something on the PSP or the DS, you literally have to get up off your butt, go to Target, or get on Amazon and order it. And you're not—it's—it's it's not that instant satisfaction. And they're forty-dollar games. And that's just it. Meanwhile, you can spend five or ten bucks. Um, you know, typically ten bucks is the cap on an iPod Touch or an iPhone game. And uh, the other thing that you can do is that you can share that on as many uh, iPod Touches or iPhones as you've got in the house. Um, you know, because Apple has made home sharing so easy to use, and, you know, mm -hmm. especially if you're, if you're syncing the devices to one computer. But even if you're not, if you're syncing them on up to five computers in the household, they can all share the same apps. So I bought Nova once for $6.99. Everybody in the house can play it. We've got four devices. Everybody can play it. My wife yep. chooses not to, but... Me and she the could. boys can. Yeah, the boys yep. and I can. You know, and and, and uh, there are other games like that as well. And she could exactly. So, you know, one game for six ninety nine versus, and I have done this so many times, it has made me grind my teeth. 
spend a $40 game on the DS, and then another kid wants it because the first kid won't share his save files oh, yeah. the second kid. So you've got to go out and spend another 40 bucks for the same game for their DS, and then another 40 bucks for the third one because I've got three kids. I'm at 120 bucks playing the same damn game. Yep. You know, on these three DSs, um, just to make the kids happy versus seven bucks. Uh, it doesn't once. take long. You, yeah. Once. It does not take long to make your money back on the actual cost of the console. That's a message we haven't really heard Apple articulate very clearly. Nope. That's something I really wish that they would pound into people's heads, especially now because, you know, pe- people are looking to save money. People are looking to stretch their budget as far as they can. So you're also doing a, is it a weekly podcast? Is it a more often that, less than that? Yeah, I'm doing a weekly podcast with my friends uh, Darby Lyons and uh, and John Welch. Um, uh, Angry Mac, born without a father. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Illegitimate. Illegitimate. Yes, uh, um, I like the podcast personally. Yes, it's blue. No, it's it's a lot of fun, and and really, um, you know, like I said, we get angry. We we use a lot of foul language. The thing to understand, though, is a lot of it is meant in jest, um, simply because um, you know we we expect a lot more than we we see out of a lot of the the tech journalists and uh, the analysts um, who cover the Apple ecosystem, and and sometimes they get lazy and stupid, and uh, and we like to make fun of them. Um, and uh, you know we've been having a great time with it. We've been doing it for uh, almost a year now. Uh, doing you've got every sponsors. Week. You've got. Yep. I mean, you know, you're making a little bit of money on the side with it. Yeah, yeah, it's a real business, and and we're very proud of it, and uh, we're having a great time. We're also doing a session on Friday at Macworld Expo. Uh, so if you're going to be there, uh, come to the main stage, and 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 I think that's where it is anyway. Yep. Um, and uh, and and come check it out uh, with us. I, it, it should be a lot of fun. It looks like they're. Kind of moving the main stage more in the middle of the floor this year. Uh, I was listening to uh, Paul Kent on the MyMac.com podcast uh, from last week, and they were talking about where the placement of that stage is, and it sounds like it's right in the middle of the whole showroom floor. Well, that'll be fun then. It will be because uh, I'm up on that main stage the last thing on the la- on the last day, so you, know. <laughs> you you get to close the I show. get to close the show, and hopefully, well, I should say if. If, heaven forbid, this is the very last Macworld Expo, it doesn't happen, um, don't blame it on me. Just because I was the last person out there, it's not my fault. That's all I'm saying. Just just because you're following behind the elephant with the broom. That's right. Uh, Last thing we're going to do right here is called This or That. I explained a little bit earlier. Um, Four of them are going to be tech-related, and one of the questions are not tech-related at all. So the first one is Safari or Firefox? Firefox, man, all the way. All the way. Ooh. Yeah. I had someone last week said uh, it was uh, Firefox for a long time, but then when 3.5 came out, uh, it was such a resource hog and kept crashing the machine, they went back to Safari. It's funny. I switched from Safari to Firefox because I was having so many problems with Safari crashing um, or hanging or just causing problems and have not had one-tenth the number of issues with Firefox than I have with Safari. I've also been following the latest beta builds and stuff like that. That may have something to do with it. Next one, software or hardware? Hmm, that's tough. Uh, I guess hardware. Is it hardware? Yeah. There's nothing like a shiny new Mac or a shiny new iPhone or or, or whatever to get my, my, my little heart going <laughs> pitter-pat. I'm with you. Books or ebooks? <sighs> Books for now, but only because I think the e-reader market—it's not where I want it to be. Right. 
And judging from what happened at CES last week, it's not going in the direction that I want it to go either. But then again, you you look at somebody like uh, Adam over at um, Tidbits with his Take Control series, and it seems to be going extremely well. So you well, think it's a publisher thing or it's a delivery mechanism thing? Well, you know, for me as a consumer, I, I and, and you see, the, the, this is an interesting conundrum, Tim, because I'm probably not the best market for this because I'm a shut-in. I never leave the house. So a book is just fine for me. Um, if I had a commute, you know, if I was going to a regular, if I was a, a, a desk jockey in a cube farm someplace, mm-hmm. I would probably buy a, a, an e-reader and uh, and and use it. Um, but, you know, for me, I just don't see where the value proposition is, um, at least until the cost of e-readers comes down. You know, but when Plastic Logic rolled out its queue last week and it was 650 bucks. Yeah, I know it. That's crazy. I'm like, that's the wrong direction, guys. Absolutely. I want to see, I, I see a $20 e-reader. Now, I know you use both of these, so I'm kind of curious about your answer on this one. Twitter or Facebook? Hmm. Twitter. Twitter? Yeah. You're pretty proficient on both. Of course, you have your uh, your Twitter stuff posting over on the Facebook as well. True, and the thing that I love about Twitter, I, I, this is this is a double-edged sword, the 140 character limit, mm-hmm. uh, because especially for somebody who writes for a living like I do, it helps you hone your message. I agree. It, you really need to get to the point. Right. the The downside is that it doesn't necessarily offer you the opportunity for really in-depth discussion. The last one. It's kind of tech-related. Because I know you're a uh, a gamer, and I consider myself a gamer too. Um, Warcraft two or Starcraft? Starcraft. Starcraft. I I flip flop myself. Oh, Zerg Rush, man! I'm all about the Zerg Rush. <laughs> uh, there's a whole bunch of people who are going. What is? What's a Zerg Rush? What is he talking about? <laughs> you know that when uh, Star when Warcraft two came out, uh, where you could build your buildings anywhere you wanted. And you can build up these big armies and resource. And I didn't think it would get any better than that. But yet, StarCraft is so fabulous. Are you looking forward to StarCraft 2? OMG. <laughs> Me too. Uh, it's, I, you know how like some people, are, like the New Agers, are, are counting down to like December 21st, 2012. Yes. It's like the end of the Mayan calendar Yep. and the end of the world. I'm kind of expecting the end of my world to be StarCraft 2's release date. I have to say I'm a little upset with Blizzard right now because I had a uh, – and you probably got one of these as well – an invite to participate in the beta program of StarCraft II. And uh, I'm waiting and waiting and waiting, and it's not here yet. <laughs> Where, where's my beta version? Uh, all good things will come in time. It, it, yeah. Well, I actually um, – it was a year and a half before the original StarCraft came out that Blizzard sent me the Macintosh beta of StarCraft. And I did a first look, and at the time, that was one one of our most popular referenced articles ever. I mean, I had literally people offering me $100 for the disc. Uh, <laughs> it was crazy, but I, there's a, still a huge StarCraft fan base out there, especially in other countries. And, oh, Korea, Korea uh, in particular. It's it's like, you know, it's like a, a, it's like pro a professional. Yeah, exactly. It's like a pro yeah. sport. It's 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 absolutely crazy, but you know what? It's such a fun game. I can kind of understand it. And when uh, I kind of get a little negative on Matt games, all I have to do is think about StarCraft Two coming out, and I'm like, wow, that right there could revolutionize and revitalize the entire thing right there, just by itself. 
Well, StarCraft two and Diablo three. Oh, I know. I wasn't even going to talk about that. Let's not even go there. Peter, <laughs> <laughs> Peter, I want to thank you for coming on the OWC radio show this week, and I really appreciate it, and I can't wait to see you at Macworld. Likewise, I'm looking forward to seeing you and all the folks, the fine folks at OWC and you know anybody else who would care to show up uh, for the event at, uh, at Macworld Expo. And thanks a lot for having me on, Tim. This has been great. Throw out there where people can find you online. Uh, let's see, uh, loopinsight.com. Um, I'll, I'll leave it to Tim to, 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 uh, link to angry Mac, illegitimate, uh, children. <laughs> and, uh, let's see, I, you can still find my stuff at macworld.com and, uh, oh, and my personal website is tickabik, T-I-K-K-A-B-I-K.com. Peter Cohen is a, uh, longtime Mac writer, longtime game player, and, uh, I can't wait to read what he's going to do in the future. Take care, Peter. Thanks, Tim. And again, thank you very much, Peter Cohen, for coming on the show this week and, uh, chatting with me. Again, we'll be back, uh, later in this week with episode number six, and we're going to be talking with Jim DeRemple about Loop Insight, just like Peter and I were talking about just a few minutes ago. In the meantime, I hope you go up to MacSales.com. It's www.MacSales.com. They have simply fantastic pricing right now on iMac memory upgrades. Do you have an iMac? I bet you haven't upgraded your memory in that iMac since you bought it. It probably came with one or two gigabytes, and it's just sitting there, probably one. Of course, some of them came with 512 and uh, 512 megabytes. I'm sorry, folks, that's not enough. And honestly, one gigabyte isn't enough. Check out these prices, though. If you have a late 2007 iMac, made late 2007, you can upgrade that to four gigabytes. Four gigs. 95.99. If you've got one that was made on or after April 2008, Four gigabytes, hundred four ninety nine. That's amazing. I'm sorry if you've got four gigabytes in your iMac, you can run the Mac OS and Windows Seven at the same time on the same machine, no noticeable slowdown. So if you've got an older iMac and you haven't upgraded the RAM in it yet, psh, come on. Ninety-five, ninety-nine, hundred four, ninety-nine, four gigs. You'd be set for a long time. Thank you very much for listening to OWC Radio Number Five. I'll be back next week. Have a good day. Mm-hmm.